Welcome to Fearless Hustle Collective, a podcast for creative female entrepreneurs and a home to honest conversations about the ups and downs of running your own business. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back. It's episode 29. This week I chat to Hannah Glover, who is the owner of the bead shop here in Nottingham, and we chat about um, creating a successful retail business. Hannah started it at the age of 18 and has wealth of experience to share with you so I really do hope you enjoy it and just before we jump into the episode I also wanted to remind you that the signups for the Fearless Members Club are now open and um, we officially launch on the 24th of June um, but we are taking signups now so that I can create beautiful small groups for you um, in which we will be exploring certain uh, aspects of running your business um, and it will be you know a beautifully supportive space for you to develop as a business owner so if this sounds like something that you might be interested in head on over to my website I'll pop the link in the show notes as well uh, and you can sign up there hi Hannah hi Anna how are you I'm good thank you thank you so much for coming on um so I want to jump straight in at the deep end <laughs> and ask you about one proud moment that you've had in your career so far. <laughs> this is so difficult. Um, so I knew you were going to ask me this, and I'm trying to think of one moment, and it's really, really hard. Um, I think most people would expect me to say uh, being invited to the House of Lords, um, which was two weeks ago, um, for the F Entrepreneur Top 100 Female businesswomen but I'm not sure that is my proudest moment um, I think the shop's 19th birthday in January um, because that felt like such a long period of time and it certainly hasn't been easy to get there I think that's something that I'm more proud of. Um, so I wanted to talk about the F um, Entrepreneur Top 100 um, award. I know you've you've said it's kind of not perhaps your uh, proudest moment, but I suppose it's kind of a really recent, really exciting event that you've had happen to you. Um, so tell us a little bit about that, I guess, and what that entailed. So I got an email from my bank manager at the time about the F Entrepreneur Awards and how they were compiling a list of top 100 and you had to fill in an online application saying what you did, how you got there, and a bit about what else you did. And they really wanted to focus on the fact that most female entrepreneurs don't just run a business. They also do mentoring or voluntary work or things in the local community or various other bits and really focus on the extra bits the women did so it was their I also campaign um, so I filled in that wasn't really expecting to hear back from it and then I think that was back in October and then in January I got an email to say that I'd been listed as one of the top 100 and that there would be an event in London in the run-up to International Women's Day um, and then Quite late in February, found out that that was going to be a trip to the House of Lords 
and to listen to Martha Lane Fox of lastminute.com talking, which was really, really inspirational. That is so, so exciting. <laughs> yeah, it was good. It was quite daunting as well, particularly the whole um, wear smart clothing and go through loads of security and allow forever to get through it. And when you got there, you had to go through past armed police officers right next to you and then take off watches and be searched and so on and I was like, oh this is scary but it was fine once I was in there yeah yeah I think obviously security wise they've got to make sure that they're kind of on top of it but yeah oh yeah it's really sensible but I'm the kind of person that feels really guilty when I go through airport security <laughs> even though I'm not smuggling anything I shouldn't um, I still feel like oh, what am I going to get stopped for what have I done <laughs> yeah it's so funny because um, my husband sent me kind of like a list of things kind of you, you know things that um, you know kind of you're British if you do those and one of them was like feeling really guilty when you're kind of going through passport control um, <laughs> as if you've done something even though you haven't um, but it's so funny, but it's true. But I always feel the same way. I find it really quite stressful. Yeah, I find it really stressful. And I, my heart races. And I did once tell my husband that I was never going to go on holiday again if it involved going through airport security. When they, it was when they introduced the whole swabbing the bottom of your feet and making you stand with your arms out so you can go through one of those full body scanners. And like, this is just a yeah. step yeah. I can't cope with this. <laughs> So let's go back to the beginning and you haven't, I haven't kind of asked you to introduce yourself yet. So why don't you tell us a little bit about um, what it is that you do now? So I run the beach shop in Nottingham. I started that 19 years ago when I was 18. Um, I'm also a retail mentor and specializing really in helping people open shops, move shops, improve shop experience. And I also run some service departments of both my shop in Nottingham City Centre. So you've got quite a lot going on there. <laughs> yeah, I like to be busy. So when did you first start your businesses? You mentioned you were 18 years old, but what did that look like exactly? And what kind of prompted you to start your own business, I guess? Um, so... My plan was to go to university and I wanted to go to Nottingham Uni to study chemistry and biology and they rejected my application before I'd got my A-level results and then I didn't want to go anywhere else, I'd looked at other courses, I'd looked at other units so I decided to take a year out, earn some money and reapply um, because I was quite confident I was going to get the grades that they wanted but in sixth form they predicted me a stroke B and um, I knew that Nottingham rejected anyone that didn't get the prediction of an A and I got the A's that I needed but um, obviously had to do the year out to reapply so I did that. In the year out I got accepted to go to Nottingham but I realised I didn't really want to do a career that was based around either chemistry or biology, they were just the subjects I was really good at. Um, and I was working for a bead shop in Nottingham that was closing down and um, really enjoyed it, really enjoyed interacting with customers. I'd always really wanted to be a shopkeeper in a kind of 
watching Mr. Ben and Bagpuss and that kind of thing when I was a kid. Um, so I thought, well, I can do this. It's easy. Um, it will be straightforward. So I <laughs> thought I'd just open it up. Wow. That's a huge decision to take when you're 18. Yeah, although I think there's a big advantage being 18 because it doesn't feel that huge. It just feels like, well, why not? If other people can do it, there's no reason why I can't. Um, it was a little bit harder when I got to talking to banks and the Prince's Trust and trying to get a loan. I'd got some money saved up from working, but not as much as I wanted. Um, so it did feel a little bit harder then, but still felt relatively easy. I had to get my dad to be the guarantor on the lease. Um, but yeah, it just it, none of it felt that daunting. I was a bit annoyed when I went to the bank and they only wanted to lend me £2,000 and I wanted to borrow, I think I wanted either five or £7,000. Um, but fortunately my dad believed in me and my business plan and lent me the rest of the money I needed to get all the stuff I wanted in and pay the deposit on the lease. Amazing. So you've mentioned obviously the difficulty of getting a loan but I think from what kind of our previous conversations that we've had um, you mentioned that the kind of landscape for bank loans and generally financial support looked quite different back then. Um, would you say it was kind of easier to get a loan? I don't think it was easier to get a loan when I was 18, but then I repaid that £2,000 I borrowed really quickly um, and then moved to a larger shop. Didn't need a loan for the larger shop, but then after that um, I needed a loan to buy the building that uh, the bead shop's in now, and that was really easy, getting persuading them to lend me something like borrowed three hundred and fifty thousand pounds which you'd think I was 24 at the time you'd think that would be really hard to persuade them but that was really easy um, and then took out other loans to buy stock display equipment and so on and that was really easy as well it wasn't until 2008 that it started getting harder and harder to borrow money after the financial crash and the recession. Yeah, but I kind of wanted to ask about the loan that you had for the building. Did yeah. you did you want to buy the building knowing that you wanted to do, kind of do other things with, with the space above the shop or kind of what was the thinking behind it? No, I just, um, I've been looking for somewhere to move to for about, six months um, when I found this building and the so we outgrew uh, the first shop which was in a tiny arcade in Nottingham within a year moved to a much larger shop but the stock room for the larger shop was wasn't directly above the shop so you had to go outside round the corner up another set of stairs and then in to it and directly above us was hairdressers that kept leaking um, onto our stock which was a, a real pain so we wanted to move somewhere that was all within one building and we were expanding quite rapidly at the time and teaching more and more workshops 
and the workshop space we had was really run down and would have needed an awful lot of money spending on it to bring it up to any kind of standard. And the shop was absolutely freezing. The shop and the upstairs were both so cold that members of staff would come to work with their pyjamas on underneath their clothes and then wear coats and gloves and scarves and hats to work with whatever heating we put in, we just couldn't get it warm. Um, so that was part of the reasoning behind moving. And then when I saw this shop and all the space that it had, I thought we can utilize all that space. And we did initially use it all. We had stock room on the top floor, offices and photography on the second floor, workshop room and staff room on the first. And then shop space at ground floor level and wholesale department in the basement. And um, we did that for about 10 years before realizing that we were spending a lot of time running up and down stairs, moving stock from the top floor to the ground floor and not having it in the right place for, at the right time for customers. And um, so it seems sensible to rethink how we're using the building and also retail is a difficult climate and to have another income stream that wasn't based on retail seemed to be a sensible option to, to go for really. And so the other income stream, are you referring to the workshops that you ran? No, I was uh, meaning that I thought the top floors, because we were underusing them, and wasting time running up and down stairs. If we could find another use for the top two floors, then I could have another income stream and uh, it would mean that paying the commercial mortgage wasn't so reliant just on income through the bead shop. Um, and I knew that some of the other buildings on the street had converted upper floors to residential. Um, so I had to think about whether that would be a good idea, but didn't really want to lose control of the space. So I then met with um, another property owner who had converted upper floors to have his Airbnb service department kind of properties, mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. their target market is executives visiting Nottingham looking for somewhere to stay maybe work from as well and I thought that way I can retain control of them but still have an income stream coming in and it keeps them as commercial but kind of across between residential and commercial so there's a lot of advantages of residential and the extra value and a completely different income stream but by keeping them commercial I've got full control over them I can block out when people can stay and can't stay and I'm still in charge of paying all the bills and, and doing all the maintenance. I still see the apartments most days so I know everything's fine um, but I have got that other income stream that's completely diverse from retail and feeds. Um, do you think that all entrepreneurs should have multiple income streams? Do you, do you think that's a, you know... Obviously, it, it provides that kind of nice cushion. Like you say, it, it, it helps with the commercial mortgage should the shop not bring in kind of perhaps enough um, income in that month. Yeah, I don't think 
not necessarily everyone should diversify, but I think everyone should be open to it. I think especially the way the world is nowadays, business moves so fast and things that were popular five years ago aren't popular now and won't think that are popular now won't be in five years. So I think being open to diversifying, being open to change is really important. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, you recently wrote a blog post about the importance of showing your face um, behind the brand. Obviously, as a shop owner, you might be on the shop floor, you know, every now and then. Obviously, I know you have staff working for you as well. But um, what's the kind of benefit of showing your face when you own a retail space? I think there's loads of benefits. Um, it's really hard. I know most shopkeepers don't like putting their face over everything and they want their products and their customer service to be the thing that shines through. But I think customers like to see the face behind the brand and they like to know the story behind the shop. And I think that's really what makes it so different to buying from a chain store. You know if you go into a small business that the shop owner cares about it, that they'll be there virtually every day. Um, although I'm here, there and everywhere, I'm always in the shop when I'm not on holiday, um, which is really only limited to school holidays where I'm still in, in and out all of the time. But by having your face visible, people can see you, they can trust you and get to know you. And I think it really is the biggest difference you can have as a small independent is having your face and having your brand known. And you can never get that from a larger chain store. You never get that personal touch. No, no, it's, it's not possible for larger um, companies, really. But I think having... Obviously, people like to support local businesses up to a point, but I think having that someone specific in mind knowing that they've built this business that to me like for me it, it kind of makes a massive difference and that it, it allows me to connect with um that kind of um either shopkeeper or service provider and then want to invest and and helps you build a relationship up and helps you get that rapport with your customers yeah yeah absolutely definitely changed a lot over the time that I've been running the shop now there's always been a little bit of oh it's good to put your staff photos on your website so people can see you and trust you but now I think it's absolutely vital that you have that and that you develop that connection at the moment on uh, Beach Shop's Instagram we're doing a series on all of the members of staff that work at the shop and a little bit about their history, what their particular areas of interest and expertise are, what projects they're working on. And they're by far the most interactive with pictures we've ever put up. People don't aren't really that interested in a here's a shiny new project or here's a new um, product. They want to know who's designed the project, why they designed it, who's using the new products and what you can do with them. And I think that provides a lot more inspiration and also if people have then got questions if they can see something and go well I like that but I don't I can't work out how to do it they know that we've got the skill and the expertise to help guide them through that 
Yeah, so what you're saying is, is people actually connect with that story behind the reasons why we do things. Yeah, and it helps start conversations and um, let people know that you are interested in what you're selling. You're not just a sales assistant that is doing their job and doesn't care particularly about what they're selling or who their customers are. It shows that you've got the interest in the products, that if they've got any queries, problems, ideas, but they don't know how to um, facilitate them, they can get in touch and they know who to speak to and feel a lot more confident asking for any help and advice that they want. Yeah, and they know that there's a human being actually on the other side, you know, yeah. able to answer the questions. Yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you about um, social media, actually, because obviously when you were starting out, I don't suppose you would have been relying on social media at all. Uh, no. No, I remember starting our first website, which would have been in, so opened in 2000, and I think um, first website was 2001, and it wasn't e-commerce, it, it just had a map of where we were and a little bit about what we did and I think maybe one photo of the shop and then in still early 2000s I think it was I can't remember it was certainly by 2004 it might have been a bit before then we started an e-commerce website and um, but even at that stage social media wasn't a big thing people were had MySpace, but that was more for bands and things. Um, and then Facebook came along a bit after, and then Pinterest and Instagram. And it was a lot easier then because you didn't have to update so many different things. You just had to have a yellow pages listing and a website of some sort. Mm. Whereas now it's a lot more of a juggling act of making sure you've got content for all the different social media things and tailoring, to an extent, tailoring it for each. So we have quite a different client base on Facebook than we do on Instagram. And then we get quite a lot of traffic from Pinterest, which I think is quite a different um, type of customer as well. So it's an interesting one. And I still not really work Twitter out at all. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I'm not a big fan of Twitter myself either, to be fair. But um, how would you say, what was the transition like from, you know, the yellow pages to to really having to create content for all the different platforms and stuff? Are you, do, do you find that you've got kind of a good hold of on, on things now? I think we're getting there. I think there's still a lot more that we could do and a lot more that we want to do. Um, I think Instagram we do fairly well, but I think it helps that everyone who works here uses Instagram. So it's the easiest one for us to have a good idea of what we're doing, but it's not where most of our customers are. Facebook um, is fairly straightforward, but then every time we think we're getting somewhere with Facebook, they change the way they work their algorithms and less of our customers can see things. And so on, but and Pinterest, I think we've got a long way to go. But we're about to launch a new website, um, which one of the the biggest challenges for us 
over over the last kind of 15 years has been keeping websites up to date. Our first website now looks absolutely, would now look ridiculous. It had a black background with sparkly stars on and all the text was purple on a lilac background. So it'd be really hard to read, but it worked really well for us for ages and all the pages were really, really long. Um, We then updated to a more modern website about um, 12 years ago, which was a nightmare because we had something like 5,000 products to get on it. And we'd kind of hoped that that would be a future-proof website, but it wasn't at all. Um, and it, it's impossible to make that website responsive much as we'd like it to work well on the mobile. So we have a separate mobile website at the moment, which is not what we want and certainly doesn't do us any uh, favours with Google. But our new website's going to be really good and hopefully actually will be one that we can move forward with in the future. It's properly responsive, it looks beautiful, it's got really nice, clear photos. In fact, we've used some of the photos that you took uh, inside the shop for it, so it looks amazing. Um, And it'll have a much better blog, which when that's all up and running, hopefully within the next month, the blog side of it will feed in better to our Pinterest. So I think that's going to be our biggest area of development is getting the people that can visit us from our pins to actually stay on the website and be able to navigate around the blog and pick up more of our patterns and designs. And then obviously the idea is they'll then want to buy the beads to make them from having found us through Pinterest. One of the things that has really changed for us over the last couple of years is whereas retail in itself is shrinking a little bit and certainly a lot more challenging a climate than it's ever been before and obviously all the political fun at the moment isn't helping at all with that but the workshop side of it is growing for us and more people want to have an experience and I guess that's why having photos of yourself and of your team is so important because people are going to come and do a workshop and come and get an experience rather than just a shopping trip. They need to know who they're going to see, what it's going to feel like to be there, whether they're going to enjoy it, whether it's going to be friendly and welcoming. So yeah, definitely the workshops are growing and the whole experience side of things, which does feed back into the branding and the photography bit too. Yeah, and I think when you are going to a workshop, for example, and if it's something that you've never done before, actually knowing who is going to be leading it or at least having a good idea of who it might be really will put you at ease. And I think that I've found that myself with um, perhaps whether that's either workshops or any type of kind of treatment that I've been to, it's quite nice to know who it is that you're actually going to see. Yeah, and I think to know where you're going, see a picture of um, the outside of the building that you're going to and the inside, so you just feel less nervous about a new experience if you know what to expect, I think. Yeah, definitely. So I wanted to talk about the um, mentoring services that you've recently introduced. Um, What are the most kind of common mistakes that you find shop owners make when they first start out? Um, I'm not sure there's really a common 
common mistakes as such. I think most people aren't very confident um, and a lot of it is helping people feel more confident in what they're doing. I suppose mistake-wise, maybe not realising that you can negotiate on rents and leases and rate clauses. A lot of some of the, all the clients I've had so far have been female and I don't know if it's a female thing but most people seem to go in and sign a lease without seeing if they can get a better deal without using a charter surveyor or anyone else to help them negotiate and there is usually a lot you can do normally people or landlords or agents will go in with the highest price they think they can get and hope that someone just signs it but usually you can get several months rent free or discounted rent or if you're not sure that you want to stay there long term you can get break clauses put in so I think the most important thing people can do if they're wanting to start a shop is try and be more confident whether that's through having someone with you to do the viewing, to do the negotiations on your behalf, or whether just making sure that you don't agree anything there and then you go away, think about it, and see if it is going to work for you, and then try and negotiate. But I think most people, when they do start shops, they're pretty confident on the customer service side of it and about their products, and that bit isn't lacking it's just the getting the lease negotiated getting the shop open having the confidence that they can make a living from it that the customer service side of it and the product side of it everyone's very passionate about otherwise they wouldn't be taking the leap in the first place yeah I think you make a very good point with regards to the negotiating um when I used to work for my dad very often we would negotiate deals with service companies um, and he'd always, um, I'd often have the initial call, uh, I would then relay the information to him and then he'd come back to me and say, no, I want this and this and this, go back and tell them that that's what we want. And a lot of the time I was like, no, we can't do that. You know, you're asking for way like below the kind of asking price. Um, but actually so often the companies would renegotiate and very closely match what you ask for so I think it's a very hard thing to do and I think it really helps to have someone else on your side so when I've had complicated leases um, or I've been trying to get properties I've always used the chartered surveyor and they are expensive but they've always saved me so much money and I think whether you use a chartered surveyor or whether you've got um some, use someone like me to try and help you or um, if you've got uh, someone who's a little bit removed from it it's sometimes easier to get them to negotiate on your behalf because I think if you find somewhere that you want and you fall in love with it you're inclined to just say yeah yeah I'll take it that's fine without actually going well wait a minute I might want to have a break clause after 12 months just in case or I might not actually be happy paying three months rent as deposit is there something you can do, like um, get the deposit refunded after six months of payments rather than having the deposit for the next three years without giving it back to you? And there's 
it certainly helps speaking it, talking it through with someone who's been there that knows all the different areas that you might be able to negotiate a better deal or all the different sorts of contracts that tend to come up. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of the time, obviously, if it is your first business in particular, I mean, you're not, you're just not going to know all of these things because nobody yeah. tells you these things until, no. until think, you're there. Yeah, I think that's, um, I found it really valuable to have a chance to be to put things through with when I was signing my second lease. Um, and I know the clients that I've been working with have found it really useful and um, to talk through with me about my experience with doing things. And there's so, I mean, no part of running your own business is easy, but I think running a shop is harder um, compared to my other to my other two businesses the shop is the hardest bit of it because there's so many different areas and so many things to look at you're a lot more likely to reach the VAT threshold in a retail business than you are in a service-based business so there's then looking at how you VAT register and or whether you need to go on the flat rate VAT scheme or whether that's going to cost you more than if you go on the standard VAT um registering and cash flow forecasts and how to look at predictions and work out how much you're likely to be able to take and whether you can afford to do everything you want to do um, and employment as well that's another minefield that there's a lot of information that you need to know about employing people and about what kind of contracts you want to put people on and um, what to do if you have a disagreement, how to sort out holidays and scheduling and things. And there's just so many different parts. If you have someone to talk to that's done that before, it just makes life so much easier rather than having to learn it all the hard way as you go along, which is mainly what I've ended up doing. Yeah, I think you can save yourself a hell of a lot of time, money and generally just not make as many mistakes if you've got someone there kind of um even just to talk things through with yeah it makes a huge difference it's something that i've really learned over the last year and a half it's having a good network of people who are also in business and it's it's ideal if you can find people that are in the same um sort of business as you but even service-based business um people can give me loads of useful tips on my retail business and and the other way around as well there's a lot of things that cross over a lot of things that will affect everyone and um, and yeah definitely finding a good network through networking events or facebook groups makes a big difference to how overwhelming everything feels business-wise and also just the knowledge that is there and having somewhere to turn to when something's gone wrong you're like ah how do I do this other business owners are particularly female ones are really really supportive and really help you get through anything tricky yeah I've definitely found that myself as well um yeah I think it feels like people I think we are taught to think that well if they're you know competition they're not going to want to share stuff with you but actually are they in direct competition with you and also why not share stuff and help each other 
yeah, yeah, it's something that it did take me like, 17 years to really appreciate. I always felt very much like I had to keep any struggles that I had to myself and all the knowledge that I'd spent years learning I needed to keep to myself whereas the last two years I've realized that most people aren't competition and they're most of the business owners just want to help and being able to share my knowledge with others is really really good it's really rewarding there is so many ridiculous bits of information that I know and so many things I know about that if I can use that information to save someone else time and heartache then I might as well and um, so I really enjoy talking to people about business and um, fat registering and all the the boring side of it that stops it just being information I know that now I know I'm probably not going to use again and um, into information that can help others and really make a difference to people. Yeah, and feel really rewarding in the process. Yeah, yeah, it's, mm. it's really, really good. Um, I've spent years avoiding networking events and thinking I hated them. I went to one when I was quite young um, and for, towards the start of being a business owner and it was very much a everyone in grey suits and giving me business cards or not taking me seriously because I was so much younger and that put me off for a long time but I've started going to quite a few networking events over the last couple of years and I find them really positive and always make me feel really motivated and even if something's going wrong just by talking to other people about that it makes it not feel so bad and being able to share some of my knowledge makes me feel like I'm making a difference and um, so it's a really positive kind of thing to do I think yeah definitely being involved in those communities is really um I think key to keeping my sanity actually <laughs> yeah yeah I think particularly if you work from home or you work in a shop on your own a lot but even if you've got lots of members of staff and um, it can still be quite isolating and um, I get on really well with all of my staff but if there's a cash flow problem I don't want to burden them with that but being able to talk to someone else about it just feels like the problem's not so big it's not such an issue it's just the blip on come up with solutions so I think it is really important to have those connections and um, and I think it does need to be other people that own their own business. Because you can talk to friends that don't have a business, but they're, they're not going to understand the same pressures that you have if you have a business where you can't guarantee your income every month. And I, I try and talk to my husband about stuff, and he, although he's sympathetic, he just doesn't understand because he doesn't have that pressure. He earns the same amount every month, regardless of what else is going on in the world. So only a lot of things only the business owners can really understand, I think. Yeah, definitely. So what would you say is your one tip for those who perhaps want to quit their nine to five and start their own business? Um, make sure that you have got a good plan in place, whether that's like a formal business plan because you want to get a bank loan or it's just 
um, a series of sketches, drawings, whatever, some form of plan so you know what you want to do and how you're going to go about achieving it so that you can break it down into smaller manageable chunks that you can do and also to do a cash flow forecast. I know it's something that scares a lot of people. I, I quite enjoy, enjoy doing them and <laughs> it's something I do a lot with my clients is go over cash flows and look at predictions and work out what you can and can't afford. But I think if you've got a sound cash flow, you can see exactly when you can afford to give up your nine to five and do your other or when, whether you need to spend three days a week in paid employment and then just spend the other two days a week doing your, your side hustle. The cash flow forecast will help all of that be a lot more clear. Yeah, it's something that I've definitely been looking at myself, actually, um, in general. I mean, finances, I think we don't get taught that much about it in um, at school. No, I, I don't think you do. And I think for a lot of people, it doesn't come naturally. I mean, I'm quite fortunate in that money and financial planning is something that I find comes naturally to me um, I've always been one to budget and even as a child keep track of all of my money and make sure that I'd save the right amount of things I wanted to do and it really helped me when it came to starting the bead shop when I was 18 because I'd um, had a part-time job from 16 and I'd saved half of everything I'd earned during that time I'd got um, a lump sum that I could invest in starting the business and I think that's was why the bank did lend me money at 18 to start a shop, which is probably not the uh, least risky of, of things to do. It's because they could see I'd been financially savvy and they could see that I was putting my own money in. So they were a lot more confident to lend me money. But I think if your um, isn't your thing, then sitting down and talking it through with someone who does like cash flows and, and can help you get your head around it is really important yeah yeah definitely definitely right so to finish off where can people find you um so my website is www.retailcoach.co.uk and you can also find me on facebook as hannahglover.mentor um, and instagram i think is just hannahglover but you can always find me through the bead shop, Nothing Unlimited, um, which is as that on, I think it's just the bead shop on Facebook and bead shop Nottingham on Instagram. Yeah, I'll make sure to link to all of those in the show notes. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, I'd be really grateful if you could leave a review on iTunes so that other female creatives can enjoy this podcast too. I'll see you next week.